Hey everybody, welcome to episode two of Fail Sun Film School. <laughs> we're we're live and in color. I'm Eli. <laughs> I'm Luke. And uh, today we're gonna talk about Game of Thrones. The discourse continues. It was over like two or three weeks ago, but we're we're talking about it still because um because we got some thoughts. We got a lot of thoughts. Got to get those out of our brain. They've been stewing. We've been stewing, right? Yeah, uh, I think we decided this is going to be a podcast we release every other week. We missed uh, the week that it came out, but we're talking about it this week because who's not still thinking about that ending? It's, it's culturally important uh, to American culture, this show about a bunch of people who are uh, pretending to be fake British and conquering fantasy England is important to America somehow. So before we get into season eight and the big finale, uh, what were your thoughts on Game of Thrones before season eight started? What were your what was your experience with the show? Um, I mean, I think uh, like I got into the show like everybody else who never heard of reading a book before got into the show um, just because they saw like advertisements for it on HBO. Just like they were promoting it pretty heavily, um, and then they were like, "Oh yeah, Sean Bean's gonna be like our main guy. We everybody loves him. It's gonna be like." Sopranos meets Lord of the Rings. I was like, all right, sign me up because I like both of those a lot. And then I was, I, I got hooked like everybody else did, fell in love with the show. And then uh, as <laughs> the series progressed, fell out of love with the show. <laughs> Pretty much sums up my Game of Thrones experience. How about you? Yeah, so basically same here. Uh, I didn't actually start watching the show until it was a couple years in. Because I was a little skeptical about it, but then I finally started watching it, and I was also hooked really quickly. I stand by seasons one through four. I think they're really good. I started reading the books after season five, and I was waiting for season six. Uh, I love the books now, so I'm really grateful to the show for that, uh, getting me into A Song of Ice and Fire. But the last few seasons, uh, I've been kind of disappointed. Yeah, I had never read the books I've read the Wikipedias for the books, so, like, they sound pretty cool, and I bet they're better than what we got for the show, but I think that, like, a big problem with a show like this is that it is, like, first of all, it is an adaptation, so there is going to be stuff, like, in the books that may be important to, like, the series as a whole that's going to get cut, or it's going to get, like, rushed, you know what I mean? And I think that that's where this show's like biggest downfall came from is that it started off like really like really good on a high note because they're adapting this like great source material right and i i'm again i haven't read the books so i don't know what exactly they cut out from like the regular the, the books and everything but i assume like a lot of stuff does get cut and or like changed or twisted somehow but they definitely hit all, like, the the important points, like Ned's execution, the Red Wedding, stuff like that, like, the big events. But that's just, like, how it... This is how it goes with any kind of adaptation, is that it, it's going to be very different. It's, a, like, a separate piece than the source material. And then once you start, sh- like, streaming away from the source material when there isn't anything else, like, to adapt anymore, like, they just kind of have to go on, like, where they've been told it's going and then, like, fill in the blanks from there. I don't know, it's gonna get it's gonna get pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, you're you're really you're right on the money there, and it did get rough. Uh, I'll, I'll go into a little bit as we talk some of the differences between how the show got where it got and where the books look like they're heading, because obviously the show's done, but the books aren't. Right. But George R. R. Martin did tell the writers of the show, or the you know, the two showrunners at least, 
the big bullet points for the end game of, of the major characters. So we don't have the final two books in the series yet, but we do know some of the big changes that were made before they started straying that really show how the books are taking a different route to a similar end point. So now that we've talked about our feelings about the show before season eight, let's talk about season eight as a whole. What were your feelings about the final season of the show? Well, I I think they moved back, like not just season eight, but season seven as well. Yeah, that's a good call. It's just like the, the biggest, the biggest problems here is that the way that storytelling works in, in what like game of Thrones does initially, right. Where it's a lot about these characters who get introduced and then like how they relate to the world that they live in. And like, obviously there is a plot. There is like a through line that's going through. There's beginning, middle end, but there are character arcs in between about like how they affect everything that happens in this like very dense world. Right. And the the biggest issue is that when we got to this end game material, it's just sort of like we threw all the character stuff out of the window to like service the plot. And that's I mean, that started I think it started more around in season like again when the books stopped being adapted, like or when they started changing up storylines or whatever. Um, but you could clearly see it like get real, real bad in seven and eight because they're all just moving everybody into position for like the final end game stuff. Um, I think that there are some moments, but just going to like, uh, well, I guess with both season seven and eight, there's some moments in both of them that are like, this is cool, right? Like I was, I genuinely was like excited and thought it was a cool moment, but then there's a lot of it where I was like, ah, kind of lame and stupid at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel similarly. I actually really like the first half of season seven up to and including the spoils of war, which is episode four with the loot train attack. I think that's a great sequence. And then I think the last three episodes of season seven, I thought really fell off the rails. Um, Season five and six stray very far from the books, but are still including some material from them. Highly remixed, but there's still a little bit of the books in there. Season seven and eight are entirely uncharted territory. Yeah. So I think you definitely can feel that in both seasons. Uh, even though there are parts of season seven I really like, you can still really feel it kind of starting to swerve. It sucks because it's it's something that it's like you're deeply like you get deeply invested in in like TV shows on what as like a viewer, right? Because in like when you go to see a movie, if it's a franchise, like if it's a franchise thing, that's one thing. But you go into a movie, it's something like you're sitting there for almost two hours, and you have to get invested in these characters that like you just meet have to like learn all about them and then they're whatever they're struggling with in the movie to see where it goes right um and again that's talking about something that doesn't have any baggage with it even if it is like an adaptation that you may already be familiar with the original source material from um you only have that like two hours to get in and and get out and you have to make it feel like pretty clean have to make it feel like like it was worth that viewing time of the two hours whereas with a tv show like game of thrones is it's like it's at like adapting these epic kind of novels that ha- it has to be a TV show because of how massive it is. But then because it's a TV show, you're watching these characters over years with like, what is it like 10 hours every year of, of your life is being like invested into these like characters that 
you want to like root for you want to like you want to hate and you want to see where like the story goes and where it's going to like make its commentary on and then when that starts to like fall off it's just like your feel the feeling of like frustration that you put in so much of your time into trying to enjoy something and then it's like uh this <laughs> they didn't deliver what i thought i was gonna get my like fulfillment out of this story from um uh, it sucks <laughs> yeah i tv is a much more high risk high reward kind of game because yeah. you have to you have to understand that people are going to be coming back every week and i think actually you talked about how it was 10 hours of your life basically every year and the last two seasons season seven was only seven episodes and uh-huh. season eight was only six episodes and i think losing that time actually hurt them i think you're, oh, what yeah. you're talking about with losing some of the character stuff like Season 8 starts with them finally arriving in Winterfell, right? After a long journey there. We didn't get any of the journey there. In seasons 1 through 4, we would have had a full episode of everyone making their way to Winterfell. It was like three episodes in season 1 of them just going to King's Landing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, the fact that we lost moments like that where we could have had some characters set up, we could have seen the Jon and Danny relationship maybe start to fray a little bit more, even as it's just the two of them confined from the world, kind of see their interactions before they get all the political pressures of season eight put on them we can if we had if we had some of those moments that i think we lost i think it would have felt like a much cleaner arc for both of them yeah if if season seven like happened the way it did right and then season eight is just them prepping for like the war for the with like the white walkers and then season nine if they in theory would be them like doing the actual like end game for the throne stuff I think it it might have been a better delivered experience, right? Because now you have time to actually give out everything, like every kind of plot beat that you want to do, give every character a, like a moment that you want to to have them to see, like and have them grow and have it not feel like people are just teleporting from one place to the other and everything. Give it that sense of scale back to where it was at the beginning of the show. But I don't think it's it's everybody on like the production staff or whatever, but I think it's just a lot of them, like the people who are in charge of running the show, just got tired. Like they just got tired of of running it, and it, it makes sense if like you're a producer and a showrunner on it and a writer as well, and dedicated what like almost ten years, eight years, I guess, of your life to running this show, and like you kind of just at one point you want to like move on to something else, right? Yeah, and the showrunners did get hired on to do the next Star Wars movie, so they have, you know, bigger things coming. Yeah. The, the, one of the bosses at HBO has said, you know, we would have been happy for them to do more episodes, more seasons, but, the, but they respected the showrunners' desire right. to tell the story in the amount of time they wanted to tell it, and I, I think, you know, they could have used more time. I think they could still have done it in eight seasons if they had had ten episode seasons, but... If we're talking about our fantasy version of the show, you know, they cut so many characters from the books that a lot of fan speculation is that Cersei will not even, and Jaime, Cersei and Jaime will not even be alive at this point in the books. By the time the White Walker threat is being dealt with by Jon and Danny, Cersei and Jaime are probably already going to be dead. I think that they've, they probably fucked up the order there, but it does make, I don't know, because it's, it's weird, right? This, this, so this whole like narrative about like what game of thrones is like about and you like know it from the beginning right like from the first episode is that none of the conflicts over like who wins the throne and like the power for like who controls westeros matter at all while it's the most interesting part of the show in my opinion where like these little nuances and who's playing who and and like who's gonna win the throne in 
like in their conquest or whatever while i think that's the most interesting part about it and like to watch and to see these characters like interact i think that the th- this over looming threat of the white walkers is natural force that nobody understands to just come down and like wipe them out is like the the point of it is just like oh the, the throne's meaningless like the, there's a war in the north that's gonna threaten everybody not just the people who are down south and like who are trying to like keep the power right it's gonna threaten everybody and that's what they really need to be worrying about is that there's this greater threat that is more important than who gets to sit on like a fucking chair right yeah there there probably will still be some sort of struggle for the throne and probably a similar destruction of the throne itself after the white walkers have been dealt with in the books but Cersei and Jaime will already have been dealt with. There's another Aegon in the books who probably will have been dealt with at that point and been yeah. a major... Or or maybe not. Maybe the Aegon will be the character they have to take King's Landing from. But it's going to be such a different context because Aegon is not as big a character as Cersei clearly is. Cersei in the show is an even bigger character than she is in the books. And she's a major character in the books. Right. So the context of the whole situation is going to be different. The character nuance is going to be different. And I'm not saying that makes the show bad automatically, but I'm saying they did not necessarily set up for the ending that they delivered. Yeah, I think that just like the order, it's weird because I would think that the order would be that they deal with the the throne stuff first and then they go fight the White Walkers, but they set it up so that they fight the White Walkers first and then they have to go deal with the throne stuff. And I think that that order like ultimately and like is satisfying because it's just like okay we dealt the white walker threat now we have to go like do like the final thing this is this was literally called game of thrones like it should be the most they're like telling you that's the most important part but at the same time it's like this is the show that killed the guy who was on every single poster in the first season like why would it could be called game of thrones and then the more important thing is like it's not about the throne at all right like that would be that would be funny (laughs) it's funny to me (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and you know, to some extent they they swung at that. They had Drogon melt the throne in the finale, which yeah. is a gesture at meaning. And you know, taking the show on its own merits, it is called Game of Thrones as opposed to A Song of Ice and Fire. I th- I think that says a lot right there that that title change. Yeah. But focusing on Game of Thrones is kind of a mission statement, and they stuck to that to some extent. I do try to judge the show on its own merit without comparing it to the books constantly. But when it veers off the rails the way it did, it's hard not to. So I will I will try to resist every little <laughs> detail, but, you know. All right, let's just do it. Let's go. Season 8. What's up? Where right. we start? So let, let's, let me ask you this. <laughs> what do you think was the best and the worst episode of Season 8? Let's start there. Okay, you're going to not like what I have to say. I bet. The best episode is Episode 5. The worst episode is Episode 3. Okay. I actually don't hate you for that. <laughs> I think the best episode is episode two, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, and I agree with you that the worst episode is episode three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Long Night is really a bad Whew. episode of television. Oh my gosh. Like, if you just break, like, if, all right, if, like, you're, if you're a dork and you're, like, a military strategist and you break down their strategy of fighting these zombie, these ice zombie guys... Like, their strategy is fucking terrible. They should have just lost and got steamrolled. Yeah, nothing in the episode makes a lick of sense, honestly. Geographically, like, as far as character motivation, Mm -hmm. as far as just basic military strategy, as you're saying. Like, (laughs) other smarter people than us have gone over the military strategy in detail. But 
man, does it not make any sense but, at all. But also just, like, the narrative strategy, right? Right. Where there is a, a, a theme throughout the whole show where it's like, okay, there is this person who's, like, the prince that is promised that, like, we get introduced to in season in season two, goddamn two, where, like, Melisandre thinks that it's going to be Stannis, but it's actually, like, probably John, but it could be John or Danny based on, like, how all the categories, like, fit, like, fit everything and whatnot. Um, and they just don't deliver on that at all. Like, it's supposed to be this, this set-up conflict between John and the Night King, or at least, like, the Night King and Bran to some extent because they've been set up. Like, it's the Night King, like, and the Starks, really. But then they just have, like, a big surprise, I think, just to have the surprise. But if this happens in the books, you'll have to tell me because I'm not going to read it. <laughs> if this happens in the books, I hope it's set up a lot better with, with Arya actually, like, killing the Night King. And while that's cool, it's, like, a cool moment that she just, like, jumps out of nowhere and, like, deus ex machina just, like, murks him real good. Although it is, they did set it up where, like, she does, like, the little trick when when she was, like, fighting Brienne. Yeah. So, like, it is, it's not, like, something that it's, like, oh, she didn't, like, she just didn't get lucky, you know? Like, she just, she knew how to do this trick and, like, practiced it before. And she is a trained assassin. Although, a little weird because, diatribe, wouldn't, the, like, the faceless men... Like, they're this league of assassins who, like, are very secretive. She just, like, leaves, just pieces out, like, after learning. She fails, first off. She doesn't actually learn everything. She, like, fails the final test, but somehow gets the the, the magic powers of the Faceless Men anyway. Never uses it again besides season six, right? Or, like, season seven. She doesn't use it at all She doesn't use eight. any magic at all. And I'm gonna say, I actually don't have a problem with Arya having, like, the ability to kill the Night King the way she did. Yeah, she has the skills to do that. But narratively, why was it her? Oh, because Melisandre just showed up and said, you have to kill the Night King. Right, and, and the showrunners have straight up said that they did that to be a twist. Like, they chose her because right. it was unforeseen. I'm all for it, but at the same time, I'm like, it's, it's, it's one thing if like you just want to twist your audience just to be like, oh, this is an unpredictable show that like you you can never guess. But then at the same time, it's like, well, it, you are underdeliving on all this setup, right? Right. It's like I'm gonna go because I'm a big I'm a big pro wrestling fan. It's like when you're pushing the baby face to beat the top heel, and then like you just have someone else beat the heel instead that you just like didn't really push at all. Yeah, just it would just be you, narratively incoherent. Be, it's not narrative at all. It's, it does. It's not good for business. First off, because it's like then this baby face is dead in the water, and that's basically what happened. Because people were like, "Well, John's a little bitch boy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he he just constantly fails, and that's okay. You know, if if they wanted to keep it and they like had Winterfell, just you know what? If like you want to do that, just have Winterfell just get murked. Like, just get him out of there. Just like blow up Winterfell by the, like they just take it over. I really Everybody thought that was to, a possibility. That would have been cool, right? Like, the brand could have still survived. They could have like got him out of there somehow. And I don't know. They would have to do the whole choreography of the battle, everything completely different. But like, if they lost Winterfell, then I mean, it's obviously like, a completely different show. But it's just <laughs> like, it's still, it, just like narratively. They're setting up for for John and the Night King to, to face off. They do, but it feels anticlimactic. And then when Arya kills them, like yeah, that's a shock and everything. But it just like ruins all this setup for what for like literally the first season. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it 
it works for Arya's plot to some extent. Her whole thing, you know, they, they don't really follow up on the faceless men that well. But her whole thing has been a crusade, you know, against death, even from season one with Sirio Pharrell. What do we say to death yeah. today? Which they do bring back in season eight. So it, I don't hate it for her. I just think, yeah, what the whole... So the Night King is not even a character in the books. To be clear, the White Walkers don't have, like, a leader king okay. like they do in the show. There is a book character in the mythology called the Knight's King, who was a leader of the... A Lord Commander of yeah, the he Night's like, Watch. Yeah, he, like, fucked a White Walker, right? Yeah, he yeah. fucked the White Walker. <laughs> exactly. See, I read the Wikipedia. Yeah. So he's just a completely different character. They kind of took the name, and whatever. That's fine. But... John probably will have a much larger role to play in the books. In the show, I really feel like he didn't do anything in episode three. He and Danny were on their dragons a bit. They completely misused their dragons. Like, they, those should have been much more powerful in that battle. And uh, John just got pinned down for a, a while. He, he ran at a White Walker and almost got killed. Like, he came off looking really bad and... Basically, everyone except Arya came off looking really bad. Yeah, in everyone three. Everyone was just not competent at all, except for Arya. And, like, I guess like, Melisandre, like, she did what she needed to do. And I guess Bran did what he needed to do, just be... Uh, Bran even oh. came, came in confident, because he was like, I'll just go find the Night King now. And then, like, he just, like, what? He warged into a bunch he of ravens. He went to the ravens, and we never see him just, again. just, like, nothing happens. Yeah, like, he doesn't do anything with his warging, which they did so Actually, much setup for. Actually, I'll take that back. Theon was very com- was very competent in what he did. Like, of course he was going to die that episode, but, like, shout out to the boy Theon, who just laid it on the line for everybody. Yeah, he's, I, he's the guy. He's the real one. I love Theon. I think he clearly had to die protecting Bran. I think that's a necessary plot move. Mm-hmm. But I don't love the actual execution of the way they did it, just having him run at the Night King. It's like, couldn't he have, like just stalled the extra minute until Arya got there. Like, the timing was not super tight but, there. But that's the thing, is that the Night King just drips, like, swag. So, like, <laughs> he, he, like, he's gonna take his time just, like, murdering a cripple kid. Like, he's gonna be like, this kid can't fight me. Like, I already, I'm already living rent-free in his head. Like, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna walk up to this little bitch boy and just slit his throat real nice. Right? Because he's, he's trying to keep it clean. Like, he's trying to keep it, like... He's got those fresh leather and shit, which he doesn't, like, really need, right? Like, I don't understand why they're even wearing clothes to begin with, because they're always ice all the time. It's not like they're going to get fucking cold and shit. Like, you wear you wear clothes to keep yourself warm, right? So, it's a good, it's a good point. Why, why are they wearing clothes? They're just ice people. Yeah, it doesn't really actually make any sense. And, like, people pointed out last season, like, how did they forge the chains to drag the dragon out of the oh. water? Like, where did they, how did they, they're ice people, how did they forge chains whatever it doesn't matter maybe they got um maybe they borrowed some i don't know they didn't have to forge maybe they it. had the giants do it yeah they have giants who are they they them. control zombie people so whatever yeah whatever that's why it's better when the bad guys are fire bad guys because it makes more sense <laughs> when you're like oh yeah of course they could forge these kind of things yeah that's actually one of the best uh parts of avatar the last airbender is the way the fire nation being the fire nation allows them to be technologically more advanced than a lot of the others because they're powered by, you know, actual power, like yeah. fuel, fire, coal. Right. Yeah. Good world building. Best part about Lord of the Rings is when they're taking down the the, the woods and they're, the Ents are all sad because they're like, oh, they're taking us down. <laughs> they're using them to make uh, Orakai. Yeah, so back to a show that Whatever. <laughs> flopped its world building. Uh, <laughs> well, it didn't flop its world building. It was very successful in, in its world building, I think. For the most part. For the most part. It just, they just stopped caring about yeah. it. They just stopped, like, it just stopped making sense at a certain point. Yeah, to go back to the John and Danny stuff, so the show mentions the prince that was promised, 
and how they're supposed to lead us out of darkness. What it leaves out, and I won't go into it too much from the books, but basically a part of the Prince Who Has Promised story where he has to kill his wife by stabbing her in the heart to forge Lightbringer, the sword of heroes that Melisandre does talk about in the show, that she pretends is the sword she sets on fire for Stannis. So that is part of the show, but they do leave out the Nissa Nissa part, which is a sacrifice. And they do exactly that in the finale when Jon stabs Danny directly in the heart. Mm. And you have to wonder, okay, so that probably is a similar endgame as what we're going to get in the books. I don't know if the context is going to be exactly the same, but why would they leave out so much of the prophecy? Did they think it was going to make it too obvious? Did they just not want to deal with prophecies more than they already were? Did they not want to have the whole who's the real prince that was promised, Danny John thing, because they're already doing the who's going to be the real leader of Westeros, which was a feint in the first place for Bran? I don't know. I don't I don't know either. I think that they set it up because it was like adapted in the books, and then they didn't like follow through on it and everything because they just figured that either the audience is going to forget about this or they just don't really care, right? Or they just didn't care because they were like, let's... They they already knew they were gonna go with the surprise Arya, so they were just like, well, let's the we'll fuck prophecy, even though that they set up like multiple prophecies down the line, right? I don't know, man. But before we get really into like the last episode and just like the end as a whole, I, I want to know why you think episode two was the best episode, oh, okay, and I'll defend yeah. episode five. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. Let's yeah. talk about episodes two and five, because um, honestly, I don't have much to say about episode one. I, it, I, it was just kind of a whatever. Episode. episode four. Episode four is only like redeeming quality is that like they killed another dragon and that was cool <laughs> and then made it seem like it was a threat but then they're just like ixnate on that in the next yeah, episode. episode four was like pretty mediocre so yeah episode two definitely my favorite of the season i think like the only great episode of the season if i'm being honest it was written by brian cogman who's been with the show from the beginning uh he's written some not so great episodes but for the most part his episodes are some of the best of the series he has a real respect for the characters and the material and a lot of the material in episode two to me felt like the only time this season where the characters were true to themselves and how i knew them for the bulk of the show if not necessarily like season seven yeah because you get like the jamie and brienne stuff which was all really great i think a, a big highlight of the season yeah easy I think you get some of the Sa the Sansa Danny stuff, which I honestly wish we got a little bit more of in the season because their tension felt a little convenient for the plot. I it, totally I get why those characters would have tension, but episode two felt like the one where we actually got to see it play out in a meaningful way with that little conversation they have. Mm -hmm. Pod sang a sick song. Yeah, Pod sang a song. Always great. Yeah, you could you just get this this breath before they wrote the some storm. dragons right yeah no that was episode one oh, that was episode yeah. one and honestly i didn't love the dragon riding scene in episode one because it's like it didn't feel like there was much actual it was, it was matt corny character motivation <laughs> it's just like look they're gonna ride a dragon so we can not have him ride a dragon for the first time oh aria battle. fox aria fox yeah aria fox during episode two yeah. i kind of liked that like it it was really nice this season to see them give both Sansa and Arya more character and, yeah. and more actual feeling and hu and humanity. Than and she needed them. it, like because that's what she needed to defeat the Night King. Ultimately, was to lose her virginity. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, that's that was the twist. Is that <laughs> yeah? Stick them with the pointy that end, Gendry. Fucking once is more powerful than fucking your aunt. Like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like incest bad. That, I mean, that's been the show from the beginning. Incest, bad, f but fucking, like, regular, like, hot people, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 
Episode two definitely felt to me like the episode where I, I felt like, okay, these are the characters I know and love. This, it gave me a little bit of hope for the rest of the season that was quickly dashed by episode three. Um, but let's talk about episode five. Well, well, so I thought it was actually a pretty well-produced episode. I think that's why I defend it is because it's technically wise, like way better than the first battle episode yes um they're just really good like shots in it and like the one where they do the long take of aria running in like the street and everything fucking mwah. um also get to see like to the end of some of my favorite characters in the show like you're on Greyjoy. <laughs> like like no he just goes out like the most like <laughs> like the most like dirtbag guy way possible where like like I, I know that in the book, he's supposed to be, like, he literally is, like, I'm gonna become a sea god. Like, I'm gonna, like, fuck a dragon, like, type <laughs> dude, right? That's, like, he's, like, actually, like, a, a huge threat in the book. But I love Shoyuron because he's just a slimeball dirtbag who's a dumb idiot who's, who, like, somehow just, like, fucks his way to the top, right? <laughs> and then gets to just, like, he's just, like, I'm, like, I'm gonna... First, he, like, doesn't he want to, like, fuck Daenerys at first? Am uh, I in wrong the about books, that? he's trying to fuck Daenerys. Okay. Yeah, and in the show, I think his original plan was to go there, but then Yara and Theon beat go him instead. To it. Okay. Yeah. And so, like, he he just wants to like like he literally just is Donald Trump, like he's a skinnier, <laughs> dirtbaggy more and like and younger version of Donald Trump who just is like is completely stupid, like definitely racist. Definitely, like, but he he owns everybody. Like, he literally just like he kills a dragon in the in this like his shit gets fucked up in the end. Whatever. Like, yeah, he's a bad guy, but he gets to kill Jamie Lannister, which is great because he's just like I'm not going down until like I kill like a, a prince, right? I I don't know. I loved it. I loved Euron. Shout out to the homie. I would the, like to debate that he killed Jamie Lannister. I really think the ceiling. I, did I think that. the ceiling did that really, but he he fucked up Jamie Lannister pretty good. <laughs> And that's that's all I can I give him a lot of credit for fucking him up pretty good because Jamie could have maybe got there I mean Jamie maybe could have got there beforehand right and saved Cersei if Euron didn't come and fuck his day up no but I think that the reason why this episode is so is good to me and it's the best episode in the season is because they've built up Danny as one of the the good guys right she goes throughout Essos with her dragons and frees a lot of these um these people like from from slavery and everything which is good like i'm anti-slavery as on a whole but she's kind of cruel to like the people in charge which is like again they should they should definitely get their punishment or whatever and obviously like all the slaves and some of the people of those cities are gonna like her in the as a result and yes she frees these cities but she moves from city to city right and she doesn't stay in, in the same city within, like, maybe, like, a couple of months. I don't know really how, like, the realistic timeline bef- between it, right? But she doesn't stay in the city for long. And she kind of just moves from city to city, liberating the people. But the the power just goes back up to the top and those people, like, are enslaved again. Because isn't that, like, what the Siege of Marine was? Is that all the other people from Slaver's Bay were coming into Marine to, like, to mess Danny up? Yeah, pretty much the reason she stays in Marine is because she fucked up Astapor. And Yunkai. Yunkai, yeah. Because she fucked up their whole, like, it's it's basically she's just like an allegory for regime change. She goes in, does something that she believes is good, and on a surface level it is pretty good. Like, I, again, not a fan of slavery here. Don't think that those, pe- those fake people should be in slavery. But her whole, like, arc is just going to these places, proving how dominant her army is, and just regime changing it. And fucking up and destabilizing the area, right? 
So when she comes over to Westeros finally, and she's like, I'm going to re- reclaim the throne, she just is continually going to do the same thing that she has been doing to these other places. We just haven't seen it from the perspective of someone living in Westeros before. We're seeing it from Danny's perspective of her doing this good thing and freeing all these people, right? So when she comes in and she, like, yeah, it was her change in tone, like, suddenly just like, oh, she just made, like, a snap decision— I mean, we kind of knew from the start of the episode that she was probably going to, like, fuck off and kill, like, destroy King's Landing anyway. Like, it was pretty obvious to me that it wasn't just, like, a snap decision, that it was something that was built up to. But you kind of have to, like, see it from her perspective that there's all of these people who don't like her. She's She's a foreign invader. Her best friends are getting killed. Like, her, one of her advisors who loved her to death literally got killed the episode before. Her other best friend, like, her gal pal, like, got killed as well. Like, Masande's been with her for a while. Like, all these people that she brought over to, to help her take the throne are just being taken away from her. And it's all directly in, in related to just, like, her conquest and trying to take that throne back from Cersei. And so when she goes to burn the whole the whole city down and she goes mad queen yeah like it is kind of like on the nose now but i don't think it was something that it was i know that they said oh it was like a snap decision but i can see that like you can make a case for it and i'm trying to make the case for it that it's something that is in line with her character from what we've been shown in this in the story and i think it's it's a great perspective that we're seeing like this this version of Danny, where it's these people who don't really have like don't really like her don't really know her maybe even they don't maybe not even have an opinion they just don't want to fucking die from dragon fire it's a good use of actually the dragons this time because it literally is like they, she just nuked king's landing and i don't know i just thought it was it was excellent technically wise and just great she is the bad guy <laughs> Yeah, I think this is a case where I don't necessarily hate what happened. I just don't love how it happened. And it's hard to talk about the episode in a vacuum. I think on some level, I would have liked episode five more. And they wouldn't have even had to change much about it if the season leading up to it had signaled at her arc a little more clearly, I thought. You're definitely right that the show builds up that this is how Danny thinks. She thinks... I'm a liberator, I go from city to city, and I free people. And that is how she sees things, and you're right that we just hadn't seen it from the people she was liberating before, like someone who lives in King's Landing, like you're saying. I think the difference is, and the show kind of strays into this in a problematic way, is when they kind of conflate slavers and Cersei. I mean, Cersei is a horrible leader and a terrible person who has murdered a lot of people, But slavery doesn't exist in Westeros. Certainly, you know, capitalism is its own form of slavery. (laughs) Feudalism is even worse. But uh, I'm not actually actually comparing economic systems to legitimate chattel slavery like existed in Essos. No, 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 yeah. And so to have a city full of innocent people, by and large the people in King's Landing were not like necessarily lords and ladies who are culpable for the horrible things that have been inflicted on the people of Westeros. They were the people of Westeros who came to King's Landing for safety. And they do point out Cersei brought them in to use against Daenerys because she was trying to call Danny's bluff, like you wouldn't burn all these innocent people. But the point is that they are innocent people and the slavers are not innocent people. In episode six, to get into that for just a second, there was a conversation between Tyrion and Jon where Tyrion basically says first she came for the slave owner, you know, the slave owners, and then she moved on. And 
I definitely recommend everyone check out the Not A Cast podcast. Emmett goes into this in a really great way. You can also check out his Twitter at Poor Quentin. Actually, don't check out their podcast because our podcast is better. Yeah, our podcast <laughs> is like way better. But he makes doing? a really good point about the way that really uncomfortably talks about this really famous speech about the Holocaust like first they came for the trade unionists and I didn't say anything because I wasn't a trade unionist and then they came for the communists and I didn't say anything because I was not a communist yeah. and then they came for the Jews and it reference it's clearly a reference to that and I think the, that conflation as Emmett points out again is really problematic and I felt uncomfortable when I heard Tyrion say that in episode 6 because it was, sounded way too much like that for comfort in a context that was not the same so I do think episode five is actually really well produced. I don't love Danny's turn in the moment, but they had made it really obvious that was going to happen in the episode. I mean, right. from the moment Tyrion says, if they ring the bells, you won't do it. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, the bells are going to go off and she's going to do it anyway. Like, it's, it's obvious. But even like even when it isn't obvious, like when the heel turn happens, it's still like, it's still great. It, I think it was great. I like it. I think it's a heel turn that... You know, whether or not everyone saw it coming, and I I had gone back and forth on something like that happening. I, I did, you know, I didn't love the idea, but I knew it was a possibility. They, you know, that is a legitimate place for the story to go. I didn't, I did not love how they got to it. I thought this is another case where if they had had 10 episode seasons in seven right. and eight, we would have seen more of those little character changes and a smoother arc that maybe episode five but wouldn't have had to be that different. I don't know, because what. In the whole season, she goes up north to help them to help them fight, right? But during the, her time up north, she is con like Danny is constantly saying that like, yeah, but you guys are backing me, like oh you're backing me, like she's not even like like she's saying it nicely, but she's implying that like you're fucking backing me or I'm going to just like burn the house down, like there's no like she there's that underlying threat to Sansa. She does the political move by like making gendry um a lord right yeah. by like saying that like by legitimizing gendry being smart like, move by danny exactly like it's she's her goal first and foremost has always been the iron throne she's just going up up north to, because she's like well like if i'm gonna rule like i'm gonna beat these ice people so like i can actually rule and it's also a smart political move because she's trying to do it so that she gate curry's favor with people be like hey i literally saved you from a bunch of ice zombies like could you please like respect me like don't you guys like hate cersei but it's just like yeah, like, we don't like Cersei, but, like, you're gonna come and murder us. Like, I don't want to be murdered, so I'm gonna stay here and um, support Cersei because, like, at least she's not murdering me. But, like, the people she made that pact with basically did follow her to King's Landing. Like, John and all his... Right. They all, they all supported her, you know... On the march south after they had taken care of the White Walkers, Sansa still wasn't, like, super happy about it. But she got the support of the people who promised to support her for the most part. So it's not like the people she was burning in King's Landing had personally betrayed her. And, you know, it is meant to be a bad thing that she killed all those people. Like, they are innocent people. Right. And it's, she, it, this is her heel turn. But it didn't feel to me super accurate to the character that I had come to know from Daenerys. Like, I get the thinking and I get the arc it all makes sense as a sketch when you lay it out, but actually watching it, the experience of it did not connect. I like it sketched out in the broad strokes, but the actual experience of it fell flat. I could see that. I think I it connected with me. I could see how 
Like, I was a Danny fan, like, at the beginning, right? Because she's comes in, she sold to a, a, a warlord, a horse lord, and, like, rises to power, rises to this dominance. But she's also just kind of, like, she had to, to murder and kill, like, her way to get there. And it, she's been known to murder and kill before. And, yeah, we've only seen it where she only murders and kills the bad guys. But if she has to murder and kill to get there, I don't think it's too far off where she is going to murder and kill people to, like, innocent people to get what she wants and she wanted that iron throne real real bad and nothing was going to stop her and she was the most powerful one so i think that it makes like i don't think she should have lost like she had the win right but like at, at least like the war with cersei i knew she was like i knew she wasn't ever going to win the iron throne like i you, it, you know from season two from oh the, yeah from the and people were like if anyone really thought that they she was going to win the iron throne like fuck off <laughs> yeah, like that was clear yeah it, it, it was very clear it made a lot of sense that like uh that it was gonna like it had to happen too because they, it was all in ash right like when she goes into the throne room in season two if you're talking about foreshadowing right she goes into the throne room in season two it's it covered in ash it's not fucking snow so someone's gonna like it's gonna get burned down what's gonna burn it down there's only two candidates either like cersei was gonna set off the the dragon uh, the wildfire which she could have did, and it was it did go off after like some of the caches looked like they went off yeah. in the scene. Which narratively, it's like okay, like at least you're being consistent there. But like it's either going to be that, or Daenerys has to do the heel turn and and uh, burn it down with her dragon fire, and that's what had to happen. And that's my thoughts. <laughs> do you want to just hit hit the, the the last episode then? Yeah. We'll so just... we covered episode five. Let's go into the finale. Woo! What were your general feelings about the very last episode of I Game mean, of Thrones? I'm pissed because the betting line was on Bran, and I should have bet it, but, like... Yeah, I don't know how everyone, honestly, everyone saw that coming somehow in the betting pools. I think because the, the the a lot of the smart money comes in on Bran, and then was... A lot of, like, production stuff might have got leaked, so they're mm. like, don't tell anybody, but they're like, <laughs> I was literally the boom guy, and <laughs> Bran says that he's the king now. <laughs> Also, speaking of production, I just want to, like, hold back. A lot of people were noticing the, like, the shots of coffee and, like, water bottles in this, in this season. I'm kind of, like, pissed off about it. Not because it's, like, oh, yeah, that's, like, sloppy or whatever. Well, because it is sloppy. But it's just, like, man, they really just didn't get enough coverage. Like, they just didn't see that. Or, like, the only good take of them in, like, the editing room that they could use was the one with the water bottle in it. Like, nobody noticed that. Like, come on, dude. This is a fucking multi-million dollar show that you're producing here the fact that they didn't notice it on shooting day is not as surprising to right. me as no one noticing it in the editing suite for like however long it must have taken to edit those episodes but even if like you didn't get coverage of like if someone noticed it in there they're they're not doing one take of danny like looking in but the like, background even if they hadn't gotten like, the coverage of, of, of a scene without the coffee cup or oh the water God. bottle in it they still could have edited it out with cgi like they've already <laughs> done with the coffee cup yeah after the episode already aired they went back and fixed it like they could have done that in the editing suite in the first place if anyone amazing. had noticed amazing so i feel like they just did it on purpose because they just like fuck this show like it's going maybe the editors are just like this fucking sucks they're a little rebellion yeah, yeah they just they're a little rebellion shout outs to the editors of game of thrones who actually do a pretty good job for the most for the part. most part yeah. <laughs> yeah so shout out to brand too for okay was it ever established that brand could see the future i know he has visions but can he see the future like so he he gets his visions of the future like he we, we've seen him get visions of the future before and like he saw himself becoming king theoretically which is kind of 
interesting it's kind of it's kind of dope because that's like a that's like a hard flex that he was just like that was the best line in the episode where he's like yo why do you think i came all this way dog like it's like hell yeah dude you take that throat and also like great arc for brand because it's like first episode gets knocked out of a window by the king slayer by the no king less. slayer right and then becomes the king like come on dude that's awesome like i'm into that and if that's how if that's how it really ends like good People have been brand. going back and looking at the books for hints about that being the ending. People are finding some interesting stuff. I do think there's a good chance that will be the ending in the books. And I that is an ending that it surprised me a lot when it happened. But looking back now, I can see it being an interesting, an interesting ending. I think this is another case for me where I like it in theory, but the way it played out didn't feel super satisfying. I, I agree. I have, I have, like, some problems with, like, people's takes, really, on the episode. Is, yeah. Is, I don't really have a lot of problems with the episode in general. There's some stuff that, like, I wish, like, could have been different. But I think that, like, it for all of the plot lines that they still have to wrap up, it wraps everything up pretty okay. Although, just, like, Grey Worm kind of pissing off just giving up the power that they seize there. Eh, kind of just, like, this kind of lame, but... I understand that's like if they if he really like it's just a couple of unsullied I mean not a couple like it's an army of unsullied guys but versus every other house in Westeros like the unsullied are just gonna lose by numbers right and they, they got a lot of weird power in the final episode of like getting right. to banish John like they somehow got to make that happen. well I mean it was like the unsullied are gonna leave they probably worked out that and then they yeah. were like but we want this this and this before we fuck yeah. off which like if you're on that bargaining platform because they could have held King's Landing for a while and That's then true. eventually kill a bunch of people right and i just don't think anybody wanted that after a, another war which it makes sense to me yeah but i mean we had to we had to see people you know like get their all the good all the people that we like get into the positions that we wanted them to get into like <laughs> like sam just is a maester now even though he fucks He's the grand maester yeah he just fucks now but like I guess maesters can fuck. Um, and people's takes are like, Sam, introducing democracy and everybody laughing it off. It's like, are you fucking stupid? Like, everybody laughed off. Dem- like, n- no lord is going to be like, yeah, we should definitely do democracy. Like, they're kind of doing a, a, like a version of it where all like it's an oligarchy and they're going to like yeah. pick the king that way instead of like fucking <laughs> to become the king, which is a better system than fucking. But like, but there were versions of democracy in Westeros before. It's not an unheard of concept. So the Night's Watch, we've seen them have a vote on who's going to be the next Lord Commander. That's their system. But they're they're also, it's like a prison colony. Yeah. That they don't have, like, a lot of rights. But in addition, there's also <laughs> what the Iron Islands do, which we got to see a couple seasons ago, where it's not exactly a vote, but it is basically, like, a rally where they make a lot of speeches and then the people, like, cheer loudest for who they want to be their king. Like, it is sort of... It is more of an oligarchy because it's really mostly the lords who get to go to that meeting. The problem with the Iron Islands, though, is that everyone is a dipshit there. True. It's like, they're literally just, like, from Ohio. So, like... (laughs) Of course, they like they would just cheer for the guy who, or the girl who just like is like I fuck the best. <laughs> I'm gonna kill like and get like food from the mainland the best. Or be like, like yeah, fuck like that guy's cool. So I, I don't know. I think that it's one thing to just like do your your take on Twitter and be like Sam like had the best idea and everyone like fuck this show. But it's like no, like that makes sense for the, the no. It does make say, sense like, that for most of them to, to say fuck off, Sam. You dumb. Bitch. They wouldn't let go of their power right. like that. Yeah. Right. I think the killing Danny, I mean, it's it had to happen in that thing. There's the whole scene leading up to it that should be taught in film classes 
Where they did like oh the dragon God. wings and that's, stuff. Yeah, let's talk about that shot that, that got some mockery on Twitter for that. For that it's a good week. shot, but like. Oh, I hated it. It's not like. I mean, like, it's a cool shot that's like, okay, we do this CGI thing where like Danny's like dragon. It's like, oh, she's the dragon. It's yeah. like, yeah, I get that. I rolled my eyes <laughs> so hard when that happened. It was like. It's just so obvious. It's so on the nose yeah. and so corny, but it's like. It's so cool, but like. I don't know. It's it's. There's better shots, <laughs> like, <laughs> like better most, shots yeah. in the history of film. <laughs> like, shut up, dude. Yeah. Um. But what, anyway, what else? Yeah. The the conversation, like you said, I think it like for some points like, that Tyrion had. Other than that, like, I thought it was a pretty good scene. Yeah, I think it's a good scene because it's like it relates back to it. Was it in the first episode where he's just like them john and, and um Tyrion, like they have the conversation where Tyrion's just like gotta be a bastard man you just like just like wear that on your sleeve yeah like, it's early in season yeah one. early yeah. in season one so it like harkens back to that like initial conversation between the two kind of where it's like it's Tyrion giving john advice again because john's very conflicted and like like how he was conflicted in the in the first season where he's like am i a stark really like all my like my, my fake mom hates me like i don't feel included and like i got the i got a white dog where everybody got a gray dog like that ain't right <laughs> the, like the white sheep of the family there yeah and and actually to go off on Tyrion for a second it was kind of a throwaway line it was kind of a joke but the idea that he was completely left out of a song of ice and fire the history that the archmaester wrote of the oh, war yeah, yeah, yeah. is like how do you leave him out like who do you say killed tywin lannister like who who do you say was the hand of the queen to daenerys for a while i think like that, how do you leave him it was kind of just like a joke but like honestly how do you leave him out of it i think they just wrote that as a joke i had to i re-round because i thought they said like maester martin and i thought that would have been <laughs> i would that was too i would have been like that is too on the nose no, no. like i would have still laughed but i would have been like that would have been too corny and on the nose for it but I think the reason why they left him out is because, like, I know that George R. R. Martin says, like, his favorite character to write is Tyrion. Yeah. So they just were like, oh, he's completely out of the book. <laughs> you know, on a funny note, you know who George R. R. Martin says is the hardest character for him to write? It's Bran. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Probably because he's like, oh, Bran's going to be king. And he's like, oh. Actually, it's because he's, it's it's because he's the youngest. He's like 13, yeah, right? He's, he's, no, he's, like, even younger in the book. He's, like, 10. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Shout he's, like, he's, he's like young as shout shit. Shout out to 10-year-old kings. They've always he be, made good decisions. He might even be like nine or even like seven when it starts. I don't remember. He's young. He's Everyone's young. I mean, he books. seems like seven when it started, right? Something like that. <laughs> what else happens in that episode? Sansa's, Sansa's independent. Yeah. She's a free bitch. She don't Sansa give a shit. Sansa gets a good ending. She don't need no man. I, I, I think I, I thought she was going to end up as the Lady of Winterfell, ending up as Queen of the North. I'm good with that. It's an upgrade. Yeah. I, I think they treated Sansa pretty well in the final season, especially compared to how they've treated her the last few. So uh -huh. I'm happy with how she ended. She played, she like figured out all the political stuff and then she's on the thing. I'm glad she got her moment with Sander too. Yeah, I'm really glad we got another moment with Sander oh, for sure. Oh, can we rewind? I think the reason why I do like episode five the best is because we got Clegane Ball. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, it's like one of the stupidest things, but like, I, I enjoyed it. Like, it was... It was... <laughs> it's how it had to end. It's like, it's how it had to end between those two. Obviously, they're both dying in some sort of fashion if it, that's how it goes down in the books. That's how it goes down in the books, but like... It may or may not. He's kind of on like... They, they gestured at his like redemption, like his personal redemption in the show a little bit when he was with those religious people. He's doing a version of that in the book. Some people remember, think that might stick. Remember we'll when see. Ian McShay was not Euron? Yeah, that would have been a great casting. Idiots. Oh my God. <laughs> he would have been so much better at being Euron than this year. Although I do love this Euron because like I said, love the Ironborn, bunch of scumbag dirtbags. bags. <laughs> 
So I guess the the next Stark to talk about would probably be Arya. Her ending is that she's or should gonna... we say Arya? Yeah, actually, <laughs> no. I, I kind of like her ending too. I like that her, the season saw her being humanized and choosing life and not death and getting to. I thought she was doomed. If if I thought any character was for sure dying this season, my money was on Arya. So I'm really surprised she lived. I don't hate it though. An interesting thing is uh, George R. R. Martin wrote Fire and Blood, which is a history of the Targaryen reign in Westeros. Mm-hmm. It came out last year. It's really great. I recommend you buy it, read it, support George R. R. Martin. Not that he needs the money, but he's just really good. And in that book is a story of a woman named Alyssa Farman who does what Arya does. She sails west of Westeros, and we do get a couple interesting hit- hints about what she might have found. So I wonder if the writers either got that idea from Fire and Blood or... Or if that was the ending George always intended for Arya and put Alyssa Farman in Fireblood as kind of a foreshadowing of Arya's fate. I wonder which way it goes. Doesn't she say somewhere in Game of Thrones or in the books that she wants to go west? I don't I, remember. I honestly. thought she she does at some point. I but recall. I also like people people online were like, well, why? Like no one knows is west of Westeros is a brand now, and it's like no, he doesn't know. Like. He doesn't. He can't see everybody in the world. He just knows like the future of Westeros and like yeah. the past. Right? I think it is confined mostly to Westeros because that's where the weirwoods are. Yeah, like it's it's the weirwood power. He's so. he's a tree man. Like yeah. he only understands what the trees know. And if the, if there aren't weirwood trees west or Westeros, then how how would he know? Right. Yeah. So fuck off, stupid people. Pay attention to the show. And if you want to <laughs> find out what Arya may or may not find there, check out Fire and Blood. Yeah, read the books. Read honestly. <laughs> At this point, I'm just going to say, A Song of Ice and Fire, so much better than Game of Thrones. Not over (laughs) yet, but I think it will end more satisfyingly as well. It's a big commitment to get into, but I recommend you read the books. I'm going to read them. Maybe. Yeah. There's a lot of them. (laughs) What else happened in that episode? I think all the, um, I think meeting the Prince of Dorne was pretty, he's pretty hot. (laughs) I do love how, like, Dorne just never gets mentioned ever just like they he their matches like the new prince of dorne supports daenerys and then and it's like who is he who how did he get chosen where's he who's his family they killed everyone like all the characters we knew from dorne died literally dorne is like really interesting because it's like yeah like all the westerosi like cultures like we're kind of like we're kind of bohemian it's kind of like if it's if the ironborn and like the iron islands are like ohio i'm i'm saying that like dorne's like the progressive part of florida like it's like Dorne's like Miami, right? Where like they're just a bunch of bunch of tan people, just like just fucking all the time, like partying, doing whatever. Like they yeah, they can be like a little vicious at some points. Like they have honor and respect, and they don't want people like creeping up in their hood because you know they're on like the Dornish or the at least the Martells. At least they're the, they're the house that they're like they didn't bend down to the Targaryens when they ruled, right? Yeah, Dorne yeah. was the one that uh, Aegon the Conqueror could not successfully conquer. It took a long time to bring Dorne into the fold. Yeah, Dorne was just like, yeah, whatever, come da- come down and fight us. Like, let's go. But they just, like, they're never mentioned in this season at all. They have no influence whatsoever because they just were like, well, everybody hated when we went down to Dorne. Yeah. The, well, it's not our fault. It's, <laughs> it's you, you wrote it poorly, dude. I want to see some of these cool guys. Like... I don't know. I like Dorne. I think they should have just... they Honestly, I think their strategy should have been they everyone retreat back to Dorne. Because what are they going to do? Like, the White Walkers have come down. They're fucking sunny all the time down there. <laughs> like, they're just going to melt in the ice. It's always sunny in Dorne. It's always sunny in Dorne. <laughs> so, wait. Edmund Tully's still alive? Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was him, right? Because if you remember, Jamie Lannister was like, we will basically let you They killed live. the Blackfish. Yeah, we it was we will let you live if you 
take the castle for us, like, tell your men to stand down, but the blackfish won't stand down, so they right. so they have him killed. They kill the blackfish, um, but, okay. But Edric because, gets to live. I mean, not Edric, uh, Edmure. Edmure. I thought it was Edmund. Um, Edmure. Because he's like, the Tullys were not important forever. Like, they were pretty important in, like, the earlier seasons when it was, like, when it was Rob's Rebellion and everything. Yeah, and Catelyn was and still Catelyn around. And Catelyn was there. Yeah. Or other Rob's Rebellion, the Clash of Kings. Like, yeah, of course they're going to be important because it's, like, they're supporting the Starks of this effort. But they don't even, like, show up to support the Starks in the Battle of Winterfell, right? Like, when they come up to, to fight the White Walkers, at least. Like, yeah. maybe not maybe not when they're, the Boltons are there. But he just, like, is like, okay, I'm just going to show up here and, like... I think at that point, the Tullys weren't really a real force. Like, the Freys, I think, had River Run at that point. So the, the Tullys didn't have their actual house... Um, I but think... Arya, I'm, t- I'm talking about when they fought against the White Walkers. Oh yeah, you're right. Arya had already killed all the Freys. So why didn't? Come on, man. So what the fuck that's was you doing? That's yeah. your that's your um your sister's kid. Like, and you're gonna you're gonna fucking not help him out. And a what a pussy. I guess they had all been kind of like good, decimated. Good thing so. that good thing good for good for uh, Sansa for saying shut the fuck up because he's just a <laughs> pussy. Like, get out of here. So uh, I guess can we talk about John then? Yeah, let's talk about John. His ending made sense i think i think so you yeah. got to pet his dog again yeah pretty cool i'm a fan, a fan of petting dogs you know he, the story starts with him going deciding to, to go north go to the wall he's a bastard and he doesn't have a place and at the end of the story he still doesn't have a place and that's actually really sad his his arc is actually you could say it might be bittersweet yeah it is <laughs> uh which is what george has always said it will be i thought it was kind of poignant going north again but this time with a lot of people behind him and you know he he actually will probably i I think their goal is to you know re-inhabit the north make it livable he's the next mance raider pretty much yeah and i think that actually that worked really well for me i didn't love the final episode it was not the worst episode of the season by any means but I liked that ending for John. What are the Night's Watch actually doing, though, now? Yeah, I think... So in the show, it makes it really clear that once they killed the Night King, all the other White Walkers went down with him. So I think in the show, the White Walkers are done. Like, they're they're dead. They're over. There's no more White Walkers. So there doesn't really need to be a Night's Watch anymore unless the Wildlings are going to go back to warring on the Seven... The, oh, sorry. The North, which is no longer part of the Seven Kings. Right. But I that's the weird part is that like okay if the if the wall is technically part of the north which is an independent state now because right. Sansa's like I'm independent yeah <laughs> I am running for president as an independent candidate but so that's independent if the wall is part of the north does that mean like how does the King's Landing people have any jurisdiction about who goes there right is it just a prison colony where people just like sit and like look out and like look at the wall all day or just are like uh I guess I'll just go to hang out here and uh, I think the honest answer is. Brings there, up a lot more questions. There is no answer. Like the writers didn't really consider. It I guess or they're, res- time on they're it. like we're restructuring how our penal system works right now. We still have the wall, so we'll just we're just gonna send John there. He could just do whatever he wants because everybody loves John up there. And literally, like all those Night Watch guys are like dead, right? They all got fucked up by the by the White Walkers, the ones that were left. Well, the characters we knew, like the characters we actually okay. like followed, yeah, they died. There's probably still other people there, but we don't know them. Um, yeah, I think John's ending was fine. I don't, I don't see anything really wrong with it. I'm glad that he, he got to live and honestly think I believe more of his, yeah, I know that's like, yeah, like he loves Danny, right? That's like the ultimate thing that he had to kill, like his love to save the world in general, like, or at least save Westeros from this like tyrannical ruler that was going to like continue to conquest and cause more chaos and destruction 
right? And that her way of, of breaking the wheel wasn't the, maybe might not have been the best way. And John's always like questioning, like, how do you know? Because he's the stupid idiot. So I'm like, <laughs> he's like, how do you know? He's like, I don't know, really. It just, it's not really, do you, does it sound like it's a good idea? But I don't know. I just never really bought the relationship between the two. Like, yeah, it's just like, we got to get the aunt and the, <laughs> and the, the nephew together because we love incest on this incest show. But I really thought that like the, the better relationship was between him and Egret. Like, I, I, I still feel that, that he like, haven't like him the Giger dying in front of him like kind of like had a more more of an effect on him than i mean like felt it felt like it at least than i mean the whole daenerys thing i think the daenerys thing just had to happen because that's the plot and that's just what's gonna happen there and i don't know it just felt forced to be like the whole relationship yeah i think kit harrington and amelia clark did not have the best chemistry together uh, apparently in real life they're actually like really friends and like they goof around. They dated so. in real life too, I think. No, um, well, Kit Harrington and Rose Leslie, who plays Yagrit, they're that's they're true. married. Yeah, in yeah, real life. that's actually good. They're married in real life, but so I their think chemistry they dated was at the beginning real. of the show. I could I could be totally off. I hadn't heard about that, but they did not have chemistry on screen. I think they're really just like friends, and it was weird. Apparently, it was like really weird for them to kiss, is what I heard. So their chemistry didn't really work for me, and then this the relationship never felt super urgent. No. But I will say this, I thought Amelia Clark really brought her A-game to the final season. She hasn't always been my favorite actor on the show, but in season 8, I thought she did her best work of the series. I, I thought she really went out on a high note performance-wise, even if people have quibbles with how her character was written, which I do. I think Amelia Clark sold it as well as she could have in episode 5, in episode 6, in episode 4. Like... She sold the arc as well as she was able to. Mm -hmm. And Kit Harrington in episode six, I really saw the struggle between, you know, killing Danny and loving Danny. And when he was talking to Tyrion and when he killed her. And I really thought that the two of them, even though their chemistry basically didn't exist, in the actual scenes they had with other people and for their own arcs, I thought they sold it. Um, I think, I think like, I could agree with you in the, the later part of the season, but, like, throughout the whole rise, it was just kind of, like, I wasn't really into it. I just yeah. felt forced, and because, like, this had to happen for the plot, and then, but when he gets to, like, the moment where he has to stab him, I mean, it's just, like, yeah, like, I, like, they brought it at that point where it's, like, okay, like, yeah, the character really does, like, feel the way that they need to feel in this sort of situation is conflicted, and, like, you can see it on his face, like, he's super conflicted when he, when he stabs her. I mean, um, overall, I still think it was a good scene. I think that, I mean, again, had to happen for the plot. Shout out to Drogon, <laughs> best dragon. <laughs> what did you think about him burning the Iron Throne? I mean, I felt like the Iron Throne had to be destroyed by the end of the show. That seems obvious. The fact that Drogon did it makes Where's a certain Bran amount gonna of sit? sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he can sit in his wheelchair um, <laughs> or on a weirwood tree. But the Iron Throne was forged by a dragon. It could only probably be destroyed by a dragon. So that makes sense. How Drogon knew that that was the symbol of power <laughs> that merited destruction, I don't know. It was. I thought it was kind of a silly moment. It worked really well thematically. Yeah. But it's one of those moments, like, it's kind of like Arya finding the horse in episode five. It's like, okay, thematically and, like, emotionally, that's kind of a good moment. But, like, what's actually, like, what actually just happened? I like how she doesn't have the horse anymore in episode six. Yeah, it's, it's it just, really... Just fucked off. Like. I wonder if it was, like, all in her imagination. <laughs> but, no, it, yeah, exactly. It's one of those moments that's like, okay, that thematically works. But, like, what is this 
actually ha- what's happening <laughs> well i mean like the horse is there and i'm it's like it's death on a white horse yeah. so like cool everybody loves doing that but like it, it's it's just it was weird i don't know yeah it it, it, it just i like that she it did fuck off though but what do you think about the drogon burning the throne um it was just really funny <laughs> like it was like oh yeah like i know that john's not gonna die from this fire what would have been cool is that like he tries to blow the fire on john and john's just like doesn't affect him because like John's the dragon, actually. <laughs> I, I didn't think that was actually going to happen. I think that, like, when he was going to do the fire, he was like, oh, yeah, he's burning the fire at this point. I do like how he just, like, picked up Daenerys and was like, peace. <laughs> like, I'm out. And everyone was like, okay, I guess this. That sucks. It's like, there's a dragon that's just flying around somewhere that could potentially come back and, like, kill everybody <laughs> if it wanted to. But, like, we don't know. It's just a wild animal now. Let the let the dragons be free. <laughs> People have pointed out that in the in the end in the small council scene, Sam says there are reports of, and it sounds like he's saying, Drogon flying over Volantis. If he flew from King's Landing to Volantis, some people think he's probably heading to Valyria. That makes a lot of sense. In season five, when Tyrion and Jorah sailed through Valyria, we saw a dragon flying overhead. That was probably Drogon. It must have been Drogon. Oh, so right. it makes sense that Drogon would return to Valyria, which is the Targaryen homeland that has been destroyed by fire. They just want to go back to Valyria. Is that just like I mean, native in them? It's like when gooses fly south. They just dragons just gotta fly to Valyria. <laughs> But yeah, it, it, I think it makes sense on a certain level that Drogon would return to Valyria. I mean, and I mean that's a nice resting place for Danny, I guess. This this homeland you never got to see. Yeah. Your dumb ancestors. What else? Uh, what do you think about the small council? So Brienne is Lord Commander. Awesome, perfect. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Sam is the as the Lord Commander. Yeah, she's the Lord Commander of the King of the oh, King, of the King's. I didn't know Lord Commander was also what they gave the King's Guard. Yeah, Lord Commander of the Kings is is the title for Kingsguard and the title for yeah, uh, I didn't know. the Night's Watch. Yeah, yeah. So Brienne as Lord Commander of the Kingsguard makes a lot of sense. Sam as the Grand Maester also makes a lot of sense. Braun somehow kicking it. He's, I, he's at the Bron, high peaks of power. Braun is just like it's that it's that character that people liked. So HBO was like, keep putting Braun and stuff, <laughs> even though he sucks. Like he doesn't. He's kind of annoying and like yeah, he's funny at some points, but uh, it just he I, did not need to be in this season he just at all. Did not need to. He just doesn't need to do anything ever. Like no. he just needed to be like he just people like him and like that he tells jokes. Honestly, he should have died in the loot train attack oh, in season seven. The, the, the loot train, that's, I have a problem with the loot train because it's just like, there's no, no real stakes there. Like nobody important dies. No, and yeah. It's just like, not even like, yeah, like obviously if Jamie's there, he's not going to die, but at least fucking kill Braun. Like, yeah, come on. Yeah, it would have made a lot of sense. She's fucking dragons. <laughs> and who else is there in that scene? Davos. It, oh, Davos. Right, he's master of ships. Woo! That makes a lot of sense. Big pirate there. And I guess, you know what? Let's pivot into Tyrion. We haven't talked about his ending yet. Good for that guy, because he's, re- he's the real king. That's all he wanted. He was a great, like, he, all these people in King's Landing, like, resent him, even though, like, he always saved their asses and shit, and always tried to do the right thing. However, he hasn't, like, yeah, he was, like, supposed to be the smartest person in the show, but in the later seasons, he makes really bad decisions and does a lot of dumb shit. Yeah, he does. And I don't know if it's just because it's, like, he, he went to Essos and, like, started believing in Danny, and then that just made him dumber. <laughs> or if like he just I, I don't know if he I think just it's just was, bad writing like I, I think it's just bad writing it's stuff like but... it's, it's stuff like what, what they do with Sansa between seasons like five and seven it's like I can't even pin it down to like character motivation it's just like it's just bad writing yeah oh well when you don't have a good thing to adapt anymore and you're not a good writer when you're like that's a thing like you look at like you go on on IMDb 
you look up David Benioff and you're like, oh, this is the guy who wrote X-Men Origins Wolverine. It's like, of course this is going to be a, a shitty time. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I Marvel think... writing isn't good to begin with if you're adapting something to like an origin story. of Yeah, this is going to be bad. Like He wrote, I think, the book 25th Hour, which is well-reviewed, and uh, Spike Lee turned into a good movie. So... You know, they've they've done stuff that's good, I guess. But, yeah, I think they just didn't have it in them to keep this story going after a certain point, once they ran out of material. It's like that meme where it's like, yo, copy my homework, but only change a little, right? Yeah. So, so it doesn't look like that you're copying the homework. And that's like, like I said at the beginning, like, it's what adaptation essentially is. It's just like taking something, right? adapting it to a different form and making it work for that form and when there isn't anything else to adapt it's hard to do an adaptation of something right because it's not you have to write it like how you would write it in like a film right so like if i'm adapting a book to a film i have to write it translate what they were trying to get can like in the book here to the filmic language to make it all make sense right when there isn't anything for me to adapt and I have to just start thinking of it, I can still write it in the in the thematic language, but these are still not my characters, you know? I still, like, I might know them to, like, a certain point that I'm familiar with them enough that I could write how they would be, but I'm not going to have that same kind of nuance that the actual author who knows the characters is going to have. And that's just what clearly happened with this show. Yeah, I think it's, you know, he told them the basic bullet points for the ending and they started just driving towards that at the loss of all else at the loss of subtlety at the loss of you know little character moments that they kind of got rid of they were just like we're driving towards these endpoints. we're just we're getting out we're, we're pulling, just filling in the gaps we're pulling out because this is like we're not doing this for the rest of our lives and i don't i don't blame them like i don't i don't think it's like oh this is it's something that we're owed to as an audience as fans of the show as consumers of the product right I think it's just like this is a product that they're putting out. This is where they're gonna go with it. They're gonna try like the best that they can to wrap it up in the way that they're that they want to. But they're moving on after this. They're gonna go do something else. It's something that isn't gonna be. We all know it wasn't gonna be around forever. We're like, it's it's gonna have to end eventually, and the books are gonna have to end eventually as well. But their heart and soul like was in it from from the beginning, and then at some point when I don't I don't know if it if when they started adapting it without. George's influence or without the books and everything or they're like oh shit this is harder than we thought it was going to be like we just gotta we gotta grind down and, and get it to where we need to to finish it out so we can just get the fuck out because yeah. maybe they maybe they really felt that like I, I don't know I can't speak for them but maybe they were like we're not going to be able to deliver in the TV show form what the books can deliver so why not make our own thing try to deliver the best that we can that we can get to and I think they did it not like the way that they got there wasn't the best it was a bumpy road but we got there we got to where they wanted to go and i i, I don't want to say like anything like i mean i, I mean we already kind of crapped on them right we yeah. already kind of said that they were bad but i don't think that it was like i think they did the best that they could i just i i don't i'm not like going out in the future and being like oh their star wars project's gonna fucking suck right i'm gonna go into it with an open mind if if i am interested in whatever they're doing i don't or is it just like another movie or yeah they're making another movie it's probably gonna be another trilogy okay well i mean i'm gonna go into it with an open mind but that's a whole another discussion for another time it's just yeah it's hard it is it's hard, hard you know like you said before it's characters we've lived with for years and come to love and feel like a little bit of ownership over even if that's not true we don't have ownership over them the right. writers do 
And I do think you're right that the show needs to be its own thing and, and forge its own path. I think the problem came in setup that wasn't necessarily paid off, things that they cut that had a ripple effect that they didn't necessarily anticipate or plan for. So, like I said before, seasons one through four I stand by, I think are really good. And obviously they were in charge of seasons one through four. Right. They wrote episodes in seasons one through four that are good episodes. It's not like they're bad writers. But, yeah, I mean, if we're looking at the end of the show, they flubbed it. They flubbed it. <laughs> I think that the they have these themes, right, that were introduced first season, continued out throughout the entire show. And I don't think a lot of those themes were delivered upon, right? Yeah. And, like, I think that they got too entangled into into plot. And I think that... I'm going to do it. If you look at The Sopranos, <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the thematic consistency with, like, The Sopranos, right? It's there throughout every single season. And obviously, this is, it, like, The Sopranos is its own original content that's kind of, like driven by a group of, of of like it's a group of writers but still ran by like one guy and like the same type of people who know those characters so well and i want to just it's also like a controversial ending to a show that it shouldn't be it shouldn't be but it's it is great. but it is still that they just like they just cut the black right but a lot of the themes of the sopranos it's just like this it's it's always seen from a unreliable like narrator narrators um, and it's about life and death and how it can, like, it can be so sudden. Like, you can just be out of it in, like, they, there's a scene in it where they're like, you don't even, like, you probably don't even know it happens when it happens to you, right? They, like, talk about it while they're on, like, a boat. There's another scene in it where someone gets whacked and, like, the, it's just, like, a, a, a noise, like, a screeching noise and you don't even, like, the sound, like, cuts out besides that, right? Like, this show, this Game of Thrones show is about... Like I said from the beginning, it's about power and how much power doesn't really matter in the end. And all that this was was about power and who got it, right? And just like that a good person got – like not even a good person, that a computer got power, right? That's managed by these people who have good intentions. We're going to try to use this computer guy as <laughs> – It doesn't even solve the problem for the long term. It doesn't term. solve There's, the problem like, for the long term. Is there going to be another three-eyed raven to forever take up the throne? Or the, That doesn't sound like the plan. It sounds like it's going to be it, the Lord's choosing it, it, new people. It's, it sounds – it's just, just like we're, we're going to get a bunch of good people with good intentions and we're going to try to – How? Rule. Where? But how are we going to do that? And obviously like the themes of Game of Thrones are – like there it's harder to comment on those kind of things because in our world we still don't really fucking know what's yeah, the we don't best have a power perfect struggle, answer right and they don't have a perfect answer either but what they're gonna do i mean they're gonna try to continue the same power structure that they have been trying before just in a different way where they don't have like a <laughs> a chromosome like stupid bastard kid ruling not even a bastard just like an incestuous kid like rolling over the throne right because that's mainly who's who's been on the throne throughout the entire time, like uh, results of incest, correct? Yeah, for the most, I mean, so, like, largely. I mean, they don't have the science to back it up, <laughs> but they, they're like, it's been not good so far, so maybe we'll try something a little different. And it's it's good that they're going in that direction, and and it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel satisfying in what they've set up, and. Yeah, and, and clearly we're not averse to an ending that avoids an easy satisfaction. Like, right. The Sopranos doesn't end in a traditionally satisfying way, but I think it's a brilliant ending. But Because it's reinforced by the themes of the show right, that you've exactly. been seeing throughout the entire time. And the themes of this show that you've been seeing throughout the entire time is that 
there's this power like it's a power structure it's about power but about how all this power is just not there's a greater force that's going to to make this not matter and then eventually it does matter like it's the only thing that matters is this power structure and it's just it's disappointing like that's what's disappointing yeah that's why it feels so lackluster is because it's like yeah we find out who gets to win the game of thrones but we don't we already been shown that it's meaningless right yeah i i, I, I agree with you completely i probably time to wrap it up <laughs> do you have any uh final thoughts on on game of thrones the episode any other characters we didn't get to Shoutouts to Pod Pod fucks. Shoutouts to Hot Pie Hot Pie fucks. Shoutouts to Gendry, Gendry fucks. Shoutouts to um, who else fucks? Shoutouts to everybody in Carth, the greatest city in the world. Shoutouts to, to Bravos, the Bravosi, that actress lady. Um, she was pretty cool. She played Cersei. Pretty cool shit. Shoutouts to to Quaith. Anybody remember Quaith? <laughs> Boy, did she not matter! <laughs> Shoutouts to uh, to Melly. Couldn't have done it without you, sister. Shoutouts to um, who else? Can we shout out to? You got any shoutouts? That's about it for me, actually. Oh, shoutouts to all the Ironborn. I like Every to give single a, one of them. I'd like to give a shout out to Stannis. The uh, oh my god, shout the out one to true Stannis, king. Stannis, the one true king. Shout out to Renly. What a bro. <laughs> Gay student in a show. Shout out to Renly. Uh, Loris was way gayer than Renly. Loris is pretty gay. Loris, no, Loris got conversion therapy, <laughs> so he's fine. Shout out to the the High Sparrow. Um, he's cool shit. Shout out, oh, Beric Dondarrion, the realest, the realest one. Shout out to Barristan Selmy, gone before your time. Oh my god. Uh, and yeah, that's about it. That's all, all the right. shout outs I got. That's it. That's it for Fail Sun Film Pod this episode. <laughs> That's it for Game of Thrones. Fail Sun Film School. Yeah, you can uh, you can find us on Twitter. You can find me at Story Politics. At Luke Hennigan. That's the that's the Twitter handle. And you can find the Fail Sun Film School Twitter at Fail Sun Film Pod. Don't Twitter. listen to any other podcast but this one. They're all crap. All right. <laughs> See you in another uh, another two weeks. See you in another life, brother. That's a different show. Maybe we'll get to that. <laughs> We're never gonna get to that. <laughs>